Welcome to the Profitable Farmer Podcast, where it's all about increasing the profitability of your farm by working smarter, not harder. G'day and welcome to Profitable Farmer. Wonderful to have you dialing in again. I find 2020 absolutely unprecedented, as I'm sure you all do. Um, prevailing drought conditions, then fire, and now we find ourselves um, in a situation, and speaking to 60 and 70-year-olds, um, we are in times that they haven't seen before. Um, our family's home on the farm. Um, we've done sprint training to wear the kids out this morning. Um, and like so many farming families out there, we're now um, isolating and, and all of that. And so it's with that in mind that um, I'm really excited about this podcast today. We've got um, David Charge, Managing Director of Sprout Ag. Um, they are financial advisors specialising in supporting farming families. Um, David and I are going to have a compelling conversation today around the impact of COVID-19 on our industry, um, how that might play out. And then also we're going to link that back to looking at the financing sector, um, how the banks are responding and perhaps what we can be doing as farming families to um, participate in that space and make sure that we're getting the very best outcomes we can as farm business owners. So um, it's with that in mind that I welcome David. Thank you for being with us. G'day, Jeremy. Great, uh, great to be part of our first podcast for sure. Um, it uh, sort of seems to be a, a common theme amongst uh, farming kids. Is uh, we we had the the uh, the mower out yesterday uh, doing the, the cross country course on our on our little place. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's going to be some some pretty fit little country kids, I reckon, at the end of this quarantine period. I reckon that's exactly right. And we've got it locked down for us that between two and five, we go farming. So I'm hoping to get quite a few trees planted, quite a bit of wood chopped and uh, a few new fences put in. So I'm pretty sure that um, there's going to be a whole new young, young workforce coming on form in farms across Australia. A different interpretation to extracurricular for sure. <laughs> yeah, which is probably not a bad thing in the scheme of things to get these guys out and enjoying um, all that there is to enjoy about being isolated on properties. It, uh, it certainly beats having three or four kids in a, in a studio apartment in uh, one of the capital cities, that's for sure. So true, so true. Yeah, we, I think, and we'll probably touch on this as the conversation unfolds, David, but I feel quite fortunate um, being on a farm, being in relative isolation, um, being our own business owners as farmers, um, and I think compared to our city cousins perhaps running cafes, event companies, pubs, hotels, and the list goes on, I feel like as an industry, um, we're fortunate relative to a whole lot of others. Um, what's your sentiment there? Do you believe that, um, that the farming sector will navigate this okay? And how do you compare how this might impact us relative to other industries? Yeah, look, absolutely. Um, if there was any segment other than potentially you know, manufacturing either toilet paper or, or, or face masks, I think it's the, the ag space is something that's really 
uh, going to come to the fore. It's not, to, to, to be clear, I don't think it's going to be without its challenges uh, and out, without its headwinds, but in a relative sense, uh, compared to many other industries, uh, I think it's really, really well placed. Um, I'd, I'd probably expect that throughout this as well is that there's likely going to be a real realignment around the economy insofar as what's actually important, um, what's of value, and you know, what what are what are these tangible uh, tangible products that are produced within the economy? And I think ag itself, and and clearly the produce that uh, we're so good at at, at producing, uh, speaks to that and will really come come to light. Uh, you know, particularly given the, the quality of, of of that product. Yeah, it's a great comment. Just just to stay on that, you talk about a realignment back to what's important. Can you just unpack that a bit more? What, what, what's your assessment of where we've been moving to that's taken us away from appreciating perhaps what's important? And how do you think this is going to perhaps move us back towards what you've just outlined? Sure. Well, I think it's, it probably goes without saying that, all, you know, really all this is, is, is just speculation. But if, if you take a step back, uh, should we re- really be feeling sorry for for a, uh, a football player who gets his $2 million paycheck cut in half, or should we be, you know, actually valuing someone who works, you know, really, uh, really hard hours and, and you know, really astutely as a business person with a lot of capital tied up in producing food for, for not only domestically but export markets? Such a good comment. Thank you. And um, I think, yeah, this, this will... Um, potentially really help us find what's important and, and give perhaps more weight and more due appreciation um, to those businesses and small business owners that are providing those essential services in industry. Absolutely. Um, David, if we think about the revenue side of a farmer's um, ledger, commodity, so grain, um, sheep, cattle, wool, cotton, um, and the list goes on, do you have a view, and I know you're not an expert in this space, but I'm just interested in your take on what do you think this um, pandemic, what impact do you think it could have on commodity prices generally? I think it is going to, it's going to be really unclear as to how that's going to unfold. But uh, again, in a relative sense, I think Australia is quite well placed insofar as throughout uh, historical health uh, crises and the like, there's been a real flight to quality and, and real food safety, and that speaks well to, to Australia's supply chain and Australia's reputation, uh, clearly domestically, but, but within the, the wider market. Um, now I think over the, the near term and, and right here, right now, there's some real issues from a logistics perspective for a lot of the export markets, uh, but they'll, they'll work their way through. It's probably what will have potentially the biggest bearing uh, on a long-term basis is, is just how how the economies are impacted and, and the level of disposable income and the like out the other end as to what, what impact that's going to have. Yeah, so cons- cons- consumption domestically, um, there probably is still a big unknown around that um, for meat and for, for grain and those things. Do you, have you done any research to understand 
what our food processors, abattoirs and others domestically um, are doing to navigate this? Do you have a sense at this stage of as to um, how they will operate over the coming months? So what we're, what we're seeing in the market is uh, you know, a lot of those exporters, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're really um, playing in a, in a new world and it's, it's day-to-day, week-to-week. So mm. they're really mindfully not, uh, not looking to book up uh, too much stock and it's really you know, hands-to-mouth stuff at the moment. But, look, that'll, that will normalise in time as is the expectation. It's just where, the, where those prices will land. Um, and it probably the comment I'd make is, uh, as with all these things, it's it's about controlling what you can control. So as a you know now more than ever, there's there's so much noise. If you look at a farming business, they've they've come off you know, a real level of you know a, a drought, a prolonged drought for for a number of years for, for a lot of areas, um, and then rolled straight into this and. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of uh, mixed messages, and I probably my comment would be is don't get caught up in the hype of it all, and concentrate on on your business. Have that clarity of purpose, and you know I think that's that really speaks to uh, farmers' uh, philosophy as well as I understand is um, control what you can control and, and do it really well. Run your business like a business, uh, and regardless of what happens, you'll be well-placed. Yeah, I com- completely agree with that sentiment. Um, I think in and around this, there is absolutely a lot of fear and that that fear is amplified by media. Um, and to that point, I think by all means, dial in and listen to and hear and understand the announcements would be my advice, but then unplug from it as much as you can. And as you say, stay very focused on the plan that you have, the tactics that you were already um, unrolling, the production plans that you were already planning for this year and just go full tilt with real intent knowing that we are one of the lucky industries Um, irrespective of the drought and the fires that have been challenges in the past as much as usual. My my comment would be, David, I'm interested in yours on this, that business as usual yeah, absolutely. Um, I think probably on on a from a funding perspective for those clients that, that either have any gearing or, or or are looking to get gearing, they should be aware of some of the implications off the back of COVID nineteen, and and that is still developing and rolling out. But there's a number of uh, items happening there with regards to packages and uh, very much changed landscape as well to be, to be aware of. Yep. So absolutely. And perhaps before we get into how the banks are responding and what opportunities present in financing for farmers, um, just one more question, if I could. What, what other pieces of advice or direction are you and your team giving farmers on how they might best navigate this? Are there other advice around um, suppliers, around inputs, around negotiating payment terms with with those suppliers, are there, are there other tips that you are sharing or um, speaking to quite a bit with your client base at this time? Look, I think planning uh, planning is really coming to the fore. So, um, you know, it, it's like any any population. There's those that are very 
methodical and well thought out over the next over their production period. Uh, and there's those that that very much live day to day, week to week. Um, with with some of these headwinds, there could well be some, and we've already seen, you know, with Roundup and the like, so some issues in procuring some of those inputs. So I think planning and and some some forward. Uh, Securing of some of those items would be prudent without being silly and without you know doing doing what we've seen in the, the toilet paper and and, and the like. Um, yep. yep, yep, absolutely. And I think with this most recent rain event again, um, we should be largely optimistic about the the season that's in front of us. And so, proactively sourcing your inputs and and planning ahead of that just means that we won't be at risk of a shortfall or a shortage of inputs um, when you need them later in the season. Exactly. So coming back to the the banks, the big four and others, um, how are you seeing them responding um, and what does that mean for us as farming businesses, David? So there's a, there's a lot, lot happening uh, There's a lot of measures being put in place and very much on the fly. Uh, now, I, I, I don't envy the government, I don't envy the banks at, at this current point because they're, they're handling you know, significant level of uncertainty, uh, really increased volume, and every every bank you chat to, they're, they're absolutely under the pump and, um, and the like. But look, the RBA's stepped in and 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 assisted the government i think has done quite a good job with regards to shoring up and encouraging the banks to, to very much support uh support businesses through this time and particularly those outside of those industries that you mentioned before the hospitality retail etc um and off the back of that there's been you know, a number of packages that are unrolling so probably the uh the, the three that we're or the two that we're seeing uh, form the biggest um, consideration for clients as to whether they take them up or not is most small businesses at the moment are able to avail themselves of a six month, regardless of their institution, a six month a repayment deferral uh, on both principal and interest repayments across uh, both variable fixed. Uh, facilities, but then also things such as equipment finance and the like. Um, now, with the with anything, uh, I think the devil's in the detail. A lot of people hear that and suggest that, well, that's great. I don't, you know, I've wiped out six months of interest. But uh, just to be clear, the the interest is not forgiven. Uh, it's been deferred to to a later date. So, um, in in a sense, it does help cash flow along the way. But there's a bit of a sting in the tail insofar as it's you know, largely it's sort of kicking the can up the road, um, and that will be due at just at a later date. Um, just just to be just to be clear on that, is it the same interest that you would have paid um, in this next sort of six month window paid later, or is it compounding? Is it is it adding to? Is it is it is it it's deferred? But is it on top of what you would? Have paid anyway, so is it a bigger overall net interest cost long term, or is it the same? It's it's a good, really good question, um, and it's one that I've posed to 
uh, three different banks this week and uh, to, yeah, to, to put it politely, I wasn't able to get a, a clear response from from okay. either. No way. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're all in uncharted waters, so it's, it sort of stands to reason we're all trying to understand what these things practically mean. Um, perhaps going forward, if you do uncover an answer to that, it'd be really good to know. Um, but, yeah, I, I take your point absolutely that this is potentially kicking the can up the road. Um, it's not necessarily an interest saving um, for this six-month period is purely a deferred payment. Um, and that is for small business. Is it, is it inclusive of farming? That is sort of relevant for farm core debt? And yeah, correct. So as it stands at the moment, every bank's definition, even itself of small business, is, is somewhat varied. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for instance, some institutions, that's lending up to $3 million. Some it's up to $10 million. Uh, some are doing it on turnover. Uh, but my... My observation is, uh, although you know, farming arguably hasn't been you know, significantly impacted by uh, the coronavirus, they are still able to avail themselves of, of that. The, the, the other one that's um, still a little bit unclear and could pose a great opportunity is the two, $250,000 unsecured uh, business loan, which... Yeah which, uh, again, is really unclear as to how that's going to unroll, where our discussions are that uh, it's going to be purely a director's guarantee um, as the only security, but, again, what interest rates are going to be and what repayments are going to be and the like is still yet to be seen. And is that a federal... That's a federal funding... A federal government um, funding mechanism. That's correct, isn't it? It's, it's via the banks, but it, it is effectively underwritten or, or guaranteed by the federal government. Correct? Okay, yep. And so you can speak to your existing bank in order to access that opportunity rather than um, going direct to government. That's right, yeah. Yep. And I think they, that this, together with the landscape, uh, together with just, there was, I mean, even before this kicked off, as you can imagine, with the number of people coming out of drought, uh, working capital increases and, and the requests that are coming through just on that itself. Uh, you've got relationship managers at all the banks who very much are under the pump. They're really swamped with, with requests. Uh, so I think it's prudent regardless of, of how, how or what your request is or what you're, what you're looking to achieve is to make sure you, you add a little bit of extra time, a little bit of buffer, uh, going back to that planning point that we were, we were talking of before, uh, yep. but also making sure that those requests are presented in the right manner so that they're, they're comprehensive, uh, they, they address all the issues, but they're concise enough that someone can pick it up and, and actually make a decision in an actual period of time because they are time for it. Thanks, Dave. I'm, ca- I'm keen to come back to that. Um, because I think how we present to the banks now, even more than ever, becomes really important. But I'd like to pick up on that point shortly. Is there anything else um, at the moment out there? We've talked about that um, deferred um, loan repayment, the $250,000 unsecured bank loan. Are there any other opportunities out there for farming businesses to glean more support at this time, or are they the two key mechanisms that you're sort of keeping and you're you're putting your attention to at this stage? Yeah, I think look, they're the two uh, blunt mechanisms as such. But one one item that that's really coming through, which really for a, 
for a farming or family farming business is probably of the greatest importance is the reduction in funding costs. So we're seeing uh, all the banks have, uh, with with the level of encouragement from the government to their credit, they've they've been quite forthcoming in in reducing uh, funding costs off the back of what the RBA is doing and, and the like. Um, but again, there's such inconsistencies between what what various banks are doing. So, for instance, some have uh, just carried in the last last couple of weeks. Some have uh, reduced interest rates by 0.25 or 25 basis points. Others have gone up to 1.25%, and on some products, even 2% reductions. So, the the funding landscape really has changed in the last, say, three weeks considerably. Our clients, you know, for instance, clients that were looking at, at all up interest rates in the in the mid fours, some of them are, are, are down into these low threes or early early oh, sorry late twos or early threes, um, which is a considerable difference. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, what what do we need to do? We need to be clear on what each of the banks are doing by way of interest rate reductions, how do you recommend we make sure that to the best of our ability those interest rate um, savings are being passed on to us? What's, what's the approach there that, that you advocate for, for farming businesses? So I think it's, it's really uh, it's about looking it's, the, the, the most objective way of doing it is, is, able to, is being able to step back and compare apples with apples. So in a sense, it, it doesn't matter what your, your risk margin is, what your, uh, what your line fee is. If the sum of the parts is irrelevant. What matters is the all-up cost to your business, uh, what, it is, what it was then and what it is now. Yep. Uh, and, and being able to compare that and, and what a good measure is, is understanding what that is relative, less so the, to the RBA cash rate, but more so uh, the bank bill swap rate. So what it was relative to the bank bill swap rate six weeks ago as to what it is now. Um, and that's that's just a good benchmark that every, you know, every quarter, every annual review, you can, you can actually benchmark where your business is at uh, from a cost of funds perspective to ensure that there's no bracket creep in the line. Okay, cool. Thank you. Now, I just want to deviate for a moment and introduce Sprout Ag. So my assessment, David, and please um, correct me if I'm wrong, in, in the residential lending sector, there has been finance brokers around forever and something like 60% of loans originated in the residential property space is through business brokers. And in residential property, we look at and lean on independent advisors to help us make sure we get the best outcomes regularly and often. I think that's been missing in agriculture where um, most farming families, David, have had relationships with their local bank manager and that often they're long-standing. Um, there is obviously now a move towards um, having commercial specialists like yourselves sitting on the um, side of the table with the farmer and the farming family, um, negotiating with on behalf of the farming family um, to make sure they have the very best financing structures 
irrespective of the banking institution that is the backer. Um, so you are now strongly in that space and you've got a significant team now supporting farmers to make sure they're getting the best lending outcomes that they can. So as finance advisors in the in the specialising completely in the ag sector, um, have I just defined what you do and how you help farmers reasonably? Um, and can you expand on that for us just so that everyone really does understand what you do and how you help people? Sure. Yes, yeah, so that's it. Is it is a, a, a very much an old concept within the residential market, as you touched on. But in the yep. in the ag space, it's it's something that's been quite boutique, quite cottage uh, industry in a, in a sense. Is in that there's been a number of smaller firms doing uh, bits and pieces here and there, and we could see that there was a huge opportunity uh, given what's happening in the landscape uh, from from a from a banking perspective. Insofar as you know, they're cutting cutting staff, they're, they're cutting branches, and they're effectively the the, the clients that are that are with the the relationship managers uh, at those banks. They're having to do those relationship managers having to do a lot lot more with a lot less. Uh, so their lack of time uh, shines through uh, in their inability to. And, and they're, they're trying their best, don't get me wrong, but they're, they're not able to spend the time actually understanding the client's business, what they're looking to do longer term, and then backfill as to how how something is best structured, uh, what's the best you know, facilities, and, and realistically, if you, if you think about it, that, that relationship manager, they're an employee of that bank. So at no point are they going to stand back and say, you know what, Jeremy? You're you're better off uh, at the financier down the road, or or have you thought about uh, starting in some some non-bank livestock lending, for instance, uh, to achieve what you're looking to do? They're an employee of the, of the bank, uh, and you know, as, as a result, they they represent that bank, not mm-hmm. you as a client. So, David, I think there's another. There's a few other elements to this. There's the impact that the Royal Commission is having on those relationship managers by way of the red tape and the paper trail. And I'd be interested in your comment on that. Um, They have a bigger portfolio to try and manage and grow, which, as you say, puts them under more pressure. But I also perceive that their lending decision authority is probably not where it used to be. And a lot of the decisions that actually get made around um, the deals that we end up with are often centralised to credit in Sydney or Melbourne or elsewhere, um, that changes the nature of um, the capacity to a large degree of that local relationship manager to be able to really look out for our best interests. Is, is that a fair assessment or or do you see it a different way? Unfortunately and sadly, it's a, it's a real, really fair, fair assessment and accurate assessment. I think um, if you take a step back, say, pre uh, in the late late two thousands pre GFC, uh, there was significant empowerment uh, for those relationship managers on the ground. Uh, GFC probably got a bit out of whack, to be perfectly honest. You had relationship managers that were were approving the loan subject to evaluation that they were also undertaking internally. Uh, so there there was some good adjustments and they were required. Uh, but since then. And certainly since the, the Royal Commission 
there's been a complete division of, of compliance uh, being created. So you've got a situation where you've got checkers checking the checkers checker. Uh, and so mm. there's real parano- paranoia around stepping outside of any any risk framework. And as you can appreciate, a lot of businesses, they don't tick all the boxes, but, but there's there's context around that. There's, mitig- there's, there's manners in which you can mitigate that. So it's a matter of, of uh, ensuring that that you're able to navigate that as best as possible. We we can't we can't change the frameworks of, of the banking space, but what we can do is is help minimise the risk of any request that a client has of not getting a side swipe by, as you say, uh, three sets of hands before it actually ultimately gets to someone who makes a decision. Yeah, absolutely. So given your finance sector experience and that of your team, um, would you mind just touching on your process? Um, my understanding is that you, you help put the very best case forward for farming families, but then negotiate directly with credit in order to, to take some of that noise out of the decision process. Um, can, can you just probably explain your process briefly, just so that our listeners understand what a, um, a commercial lending expert like you actually does in order to help them get a better outcome? Yeah, sure, Jeremy. So, look, every client's a little bit different, but uh, we we first start by actually taking you know, a considerable amount of time in actually sitting down with that client and understanding where they're at, where they've been, where they're at, and where they want to go. Uh, and because without without that context, and, and it, it speaks really well to farm owners because that's very much your philosophy as well, uh, and understanding that allows for you then to back solve what's the best uh, funding uh, to suit not only the here and now but the future for, for that business, for that family. Uh, so once we've got a good understanding of that, we give them a bit of a feel for what are their current arrangements, are they within market, and if they are, there's no point turning them upside down just for the sake of doing so. And so once 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 we've got a good line of sight of that, we then uh, look to we do a full credit proposal, no different to any any bank would do, and we put out that to what we call a, a bank tender process. So we'll put that out to a number of bankers at a number of banks, and um, with that, there's a, a good level of competitive tension. So uh, instead of that client or that family having to re-explain their business six or seven times, uh, we we're the we're the conduit. We understand that and we represent that on their behalf. So that um, you know, I think that that shines through in in a number of ways. So, but firstly. Turnaround times are significantly reduced uh, because largely you're you don't have a banker, as we talked about, who's quite time poor, having to actually collate all that information, uh, write it up, represent it internally. So, from a time perspective, turnaround time perspective, you know, there's some great advantages. Secondly, from a structure perspective, with that competitive tension uh, across all of all the banks competing for that business. Uh, they're more forthcoming when it comes to uh, more flexible structures. So that could be less less or no caveats, uh, sorry, conditions, 
It could be leaving a bit of security off the table. It could be a lack of director's guarantees. Uh, it could be a longer funding tenure for that business. Uh, or it could end, end up actually just being purely price. So they might achieve a better price outcome just with the same structure. Great. Thank you. It's really um, really good to understand that. And and is it for core debt only or does your um, capability cross into equipment and livestock and other sort of finance requirements? Yeah, correct. So, uh, look, in part, that's where we saw a real gap in the market. There was uh, there was plenty of people doing you know, simply a term loan and an overdraft, and and that's where it started. That's where it stopped. Uh, so we've we've spread uh, the net much wider and and able to be very much a complete uh, a complete solution for a client. So we've got a number of, of for instance, livestock finance providers. Uh, be it bank and non-bank. Uh, we've got non-bank uh, inventory and, and supply chain uh, financiers. We've got uh, equipment financiers uh, and, and the really and trade and, and the like, as well as you know, your traditional uh, term and overdraft working capital facilities. So the, the positioning is really that client should have to explain their business to us explain them at once and we're then the constant or we're the point of contact for them and then thereafter in the background we're very much we we marry them up to what the best fit is for that client regardless that but so for instance for some clients that might be two or three different providers uh, and for others it might well just be one institution you have clients nationally David, or does your geography um, focus more intently on a certain part of the country? So at the moment, it's predominantly east coast. Uh, so you know, uh, from sort of central and western Queensland down through to Victoria, uh, we've got a number of clients in WA but and, and South Australia, but in, in the main, it's, it's east coast. Great. Thank you. Um, and so to our listeners, if having someone independent and highly capable interests you to make sure you're getting the very best financing arrangements, perhaps especially at this time. It might be that you find yourself with a bit of extra time to get on top of a few of these more um, strategic items. Um, Jump on to David and his team's website, sproutag.com.au. That's S-P-R-O-U-T-A-G.com.au. Um, there's heaps of information in there to explain how they can support farming families like yourself. Um, so perhaps just a couple more questions, David, if I could. Um, two, and then there'll be one other conversation to have, but firstly, um, the Royal Commission, we touched on that. What's the, the current state of play now on the other side of that and, and what are you seeing that changes as a result? is my first question. The second one is interest rates um, and where they are and where you predict they might go. Um, do you think that in order to prop up this economy that we'll see further interest rates? Um, interested in your comment there, but perhaps if we could start with Royal Commission and, and what you're seeing now compared to, you know, 12 or 18 months ago. Yeah, so I think post-Royal Commission, there was, you know, there was some really... Uh, some really unflattering 
items for, for the banking sector that were uh, shone in a lot of light of day. And, and I think that was a that was a very good process for, for that aspect. Um, what what I feel also though is that there's probably been some very much some unintended consequences off the back of that in so far as how how does a corporate being a bank uh, then react to um, yes, that that process and corporates being corporates uh, their their capacity to overreact um, and to have those unintended consequences play out on the ground for their clients is is probably what what we've seen to a degree so uh, there's a real nervousness even for really strong client even within uh, there's a real nervousness for, for bankers uh, making calls, uh, approving facilities, backing even very sound businesses. So that's leading to significant, uh, significantly more information required, uh, slower turnaround times. As we talked about before, you've got checkers, checking, checkers, checkers. Uh, and really, I think, it's also formed the you know the, the emergence, ironically, of a number of uh, additional or, or alternate finances outside of the major banks coming onto the market. Yep, yep. Which perhaps long term isn't a bad thing. Uh, absolutely, mm. absolutely. I think mm. um, probably probably the one comment I would make is uh, a it's fantastic for for. Uh, Competition, um, but B, it gives it gives clients some some really good alternatives to uh, that funding requirement and and how they how they fulfil that in a really timely manner when you know perhaps their their incumbent is is un- unavailable to, to do so. Thank you. Uh, yep, great comments. So interest rates. Do you have a crystal ball? I wish I did. <laughs> I probably uh, look. It's always cognitive. You can only play with what's in front of you. The land landscape's changed considerably in the last three weeks. Uh, as I mentioned, the, the interest rates that we were getting quoted in the in the fours three weeks ago are, are now in the, the late twos, early threes. Uh, so that in itself is a remarkable change. It's hard to see them. It's hard to see them lifting anytime soon. Uh, but what I would say for, for family uh, family farming clients is it's a great opportunity uh, to make sure that you're actually realising the reduction in interest rates. So uh, don't ensure that you're not on a, an old legacy product that isn't actually availing itself of, of the lower interest rate environment. And also for those that want certainty, certainty around a cash flow to take a bit of risk off the table, now would also be an opportunity to, to actually consider what what funding would look like to, to fix in some interest rates uh, for a longer period of time. Absolutely. The savings that could be achieved there compared to rates 12 months ago, um, quite significant really in the scheme of um, cash flow and profitability, right? For sure. Mm. I think probably the... A bit to, to also just be a little bit mindful of, particularly with uh, fixing interest rates, is if it's done through a traditional 
fixed rate product, it does also limit your ability throughout that fixed rate period to, to have the flexibility of, of repaying debt, uh, whether it be through an asset sale or a, a strong harvest or, um, or production, uh, production yield or the like. Um, but it also does limit your ability uh, potentially to jump ship and, and jump into a different bank. So just make sure, my comment would be just make sure you've got everything absolutely as it should be. Uh, margins and the right for uh, and the like for both the fixed rate, but then also the balance of your facilities before you you engage in something like that, because it does. And the bankers know it does. It limits your your bargaining power thereafter. Yep, that's really 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 good direction. Thank you. So, final question and a different tact, if I could. You drive up ten farm business driveways. What would your assessment be on the quality of the financial reporting that they present to you before you work with them? Secondly, their financial literacy. How good are they as business owners at being able to budget, interpret P&Ls, analyse benchmarks, understand critical ratios? If out of 10 businesses that you sort of start to work with, what's your assessment of how good we are as an industry at financial literacy and financial analysis? Look, I think there's a lot of room for improvement, to, to put it politely. Um, Very, what, it what, what, what if you were to be slightly less polite? Like, what, what, <laughs> ha, what, 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 uh, This is an important issue, and I think um, I appreciate diplomacy, but what is it that you really see? So, to, to put it bluntly, uh, a lot of clients, probably farming clients, who are running significant businesses, uh, they've got significant capital tied up, significant debt tied up, and you know, often they've got quite a big workforce or you know, a number of employees. Some of those clients still have probably less of an understanding of their cash flow compared to the local hairdresser. Yeah, I think I think it's a really really good point. Um, I think this is a really significant issue, and I'm going to put it out there that I think our industry is is very substandard on this topic of financial analysis and financial literacy and financial understanding. Um, two comments: one is it makes someone like David or someone in his team so much more important because to be successful in business, you've got to have someone on your team who is on top of the numbers. Um, And I guess also, and just to speak to Farm Owner Academy for a moment, that is why Greg and, and Andrew have built the Farm Financial Framework, which is an online self-paced training. It's $1,000. We're launching it in July. Um, that is purely focused on helping our um farm business owners across Australia learn how to interpret P&L's balance sheets, learn what ratios they need to be analysing and driving in their business and and learning key skill sets like how to forecast um, accurately and meaningfully um, in our industry. So just, just briefly, a plug to keep an eye out for the Farm Financial Framework product. It is, it is world-class. It's a really good online self-paced program with significant support so that you can actually get the skills and then apply those skills to your farm business. So um, to all our listeners, keep an eye out for that. Um, David, on this topic, what would you suggest 
Um, where, where does a farm business owner who's sitting here now listening to this going, you know, I'm one of those guys who I've grown up on a farm. I understand the production side of things and the technical side of things pretty well. I've never learned farm finance. Um, I've never learned how to interpret any of these reports. I've got no idea. Where would you have them start? Where, how, how can we help those guys just make a start toward actually um, strengthening the finance muscle in their business? Yeah, look, uh, I think probably actually valuing the importance of it firstly. So yeah. I, you know, I suppose the analogy is uh, someone who takes a, a couple of days, two or three days a month in the office doing that strategic piece, doing the finance piece, that can actually make the buck. That can be far more valuable than swapping it out in the paddock. And it's not to say that you, you, you don't do the stuff in the paddock, but I think farmers intrinsically they're really good at growing things good at uh, the production piece and you know the really good operations they've got that balance right and they know the importance of the you know potentially the less sexy aspect of it which is the uh, as you say it's the finance it's the, the books and, and the like um, probably in a sense is no different to engaging a financial planner no different to engaging an accountant or a lawyer. Uh, really, things like finance now is is a, a specialist uh, type uh, industry in itself. So engaging, the, getting the best people around you to be working for you, uh, and and I'm, I'm not suggesting to to actually uh, step away from knowing your numbers, uh, knowing your plan, and the like, and not, not fobbing it off to someone else, but having um, having that framework in place and getting getting those the right people around you, whilst also understanding your numbers yourself is is really valuable. Really valuable. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, great uh, comment. And um, you know, I think to your point, CEOs don't pump up tyres and drop oil out of uh, out of their fleets utes or whatever it is they are at their desk in the office doing the analysis and and so what i encourage and what, what at farm owners we encourage is for people to spend five hours a week in the office leaning in focusing on really high value um, strategic items and financial management is absolutely at the forefront of those priorities so um thank you for your time today david it's been really interesting if we just just debrief we've talked about the coronavirus and that pandemic and the, in, the impact it might have on our industry. Um, we've talked about um, your role in the industry in helping our farmers get the very best financial deals and structures. We've talked about the Royal Commission. We've talked about interest rates. And we've talked about this problem that I think is significant in our industry that um, our farmers have learned how to run their farms well, but not necessarily how to be great analysts of farming projects. So a fairly full conversation. I really do appreciate your time. Um, thank you. Thanks, Jeremy. My first podcast, and it was, a, it was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> You've nailed it. Look forward to the next one. Now, just to wrap up, two, two things you can do, um, or three, actually. If, if you want to engage or learn more about what David and his team um, do we recommend them again sproutag.com.au importantly if you're a farm owners member and you're part of our platinum mastermind or take control programs um, 
when you do inquire with Sprout Ag, speak to David directly. So his email is david.charge at sproutag.com.au. David.charge, C-H-A-R-G-E, at sproutag.com.au. Send him an email and um, let them know that you are a Farm Owner Academy member um, just so that we can make sure that, that that support is as you need for it to be. And also, if the Farm Financial Framework product is of interest to you, we are going to be launching that from the 1st of July. Send us an email just to let us know that that interests you. It's a $1,000 product. It's online. It's self-paced. Really good for you to do perhaps at this time while um, there are other things that perhaps we can't do. Um, send us an email at support at farmownersacademy.com.au. So that's enough plugs for the end of this podcast. David, again, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it and really value, I guess, your insights to how we can be navigating this, um, this pandemic at this time. So um, to your family, stay safe, stay well. Thank you. And, um, thanks, Jeremy. Enjoy the uh, athletics later in the, in the paddock. Yeah, will do. And same to you. And um, to all of you out there, just um, enjoy these next few weeks and months. Make the most of a tough situation by focusing in on your farm and your family. Thank you, guys. Take care. All the best and bye for now.